I had to cough the whole time I was listening to that song. I was wondering what the heck was going on. <laughs> we are back for another episode of the Fusion Underground. Can you believe it? We This is episode number 69. No jokes. Hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> we are, yeah, 60, episode 69. Now, apologies to everybody, to our two listeners out there. We eight. do not have eight. We did not have an, an episode last week. I was out of town. Yeah. So, yeah. I was not. That was, yeah, you were not. No. So, but, uh, but we're back this week. Back into, into rare form. I'm going to talk about that because I actually went up to Seattle and I have some info that I want to share with all y'all about Seattle. Okay. Because it's, uh, it's kind of messed up. Unlike yeah. everywhere else, right? Yeah, unlike, you know, unlike everywhere else. Right, right. Right. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about my trip to Seattle and what I experienced up there. And I've had a number of folks, and I, I mentioned this to you earlier today. So I've had a number of folks reach out to me that they're interested about this whole minimalism thing, because I have mentioned it a few times on the podcast, just kind of in, in passing. We've never really talked about it in depth. Um. And I wanted to kind of um, associate that to our, to the mission of our podcast here. And speaking of our mission here at the Fusion Underground is uh, we try to make sense of the world by having principled discussions about such topics as entertainment, current events, politics, and culture. Our mission is to educate people to become critical thinkers so they can live more empowered and happier lives. And that, my friend, is really what I wanted to hit on is minimalism through the lens of trying to um, live more empowered and happier lives. So that's kind of why I want to talk about it. Now, I know you're sitting there with this really, this, this like shit eating grin, this very smug look on your face mm. and in no way. How, wait, how dare you, sir? <laughs> I am never smug. In no, in no way does, is this an attack on you? Uh, oh, good. Cause I'm, <laughs> I don't take it that way. Okay. Fantastic. Not yet. Not, not yet. <laughs> let's, let's see where you go with your indignant righteousness. Self-righteousness. Uh-huh. <clears throat> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. oh. So, oh, it, it, I'm sorry. Allow me to elaborate for everyone else out there mm-hmm. who doesn't know Dr. Amir as, as well as I do. Um, mm-hmm. If ever you're talking to him and he gets this, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's, um, yeah, whatever. You're full of shit noise. That's what that is. <laughs> so you're uh, going to hear that a few times tonight. I'm sure. Nah, maybe. Oh. Now that everybody's going to be listening for it. 
Well, just yeah. hit rewind and go uh, back because you've already done it four times. <laughs> <laughs> good times, good times. So let, let's go ahead. I don't have a palate cleanser or anything like that. I mean, there. well, <laughs> you know, I, I say that and then, you know. And then, oh, yeah, I forgot. Check this out. Yeah. <clears throat> so here's, I'm going to play this one for you. Um this is a, uh, let me get, let me actually share my screen. Cause you'll probably get a kick out of it. Um, this is something that I found, uh, online and, you know, we, we talk about this every once in a while and how our society, our culture has completely gone off the deep end in many respects. Um, and, and sadly, you know, everything is always an affront to people. Um, so oh, God, <clears throat> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> this dude is an affront right now to me. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm affronted. Is that a word? Affronted. Affronted. <laughs> Remember how a couple of weeks ago we shared the video, uh, or at least we I, maybe it was just the the sound. I don't remember exactly, but uh, the woman who was offended because towels don't come in a large enough size for her. Yes, she didn't fit. Well, well, um, check out this one. Yes, chairs. Let's talk about chairs. Uh, Full pun intended, chairs are the biggest fucking issue in the fat community. Um, The amount of public spaces like doctor's offices, malls, what the fuck ever, places that have seating, restaurants, etc., never, ever have accessible seating. Some places just have stools or some places just have armed, small, dinky looking chairs. As a fat person, if you have never, ever done the following things, if you have never looked at a picture of a restaurant on Google Maps to try and figure out if the seating would be accessible to your size, if you've never broken a chair in a public space, especially, um, if you've never had to second guess whether or not it was okay to sit down in the chairs provided to you, if you've never had a fucking panic attack at school because you couldn't fit into the goddamn chair desk situation, then you don't deal with fat phobia at the same level that the rest of us do. And this is just one example. There are a plethora of other examples I could give you. But this one is really, really important. <laughs> you don't deal with fat phobia. <laughs> That's not I, a fear of fat people, I'm guessing. Right. <laughs> That's fat phobia. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm more afraid of this guy's glasses and hair than I am of anything, any of these situations that I, I, be- <clears throat> I believe this is a trans man. I believe this is a woman who is probably taking a lot of testosterone to transition to a, to a man. It reminds me of Otho from Beetlejuice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wow. Sorry. I couldn't. I, I, I heard most of what um, he, she, it, they, them bug said. You know, you know, but, I, I <clears throat> I'm very saddened by 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 individuals like this. You know, because we, our society, our culture has been promoting this this 
you know, this fat phobia, you know, accept people at all sizes. Um, and, and I think it does more harm than good. Oh yeah. And, and this is a, this is a prime example. I mean, you know, if, if I ever got to the point where I was so large that I was breaking chairs <laughs> and, and I was having to worry about whether or not I'm going to fit in the tables at a restaurant, um, I need to, I need to really evaluate my life and, and, and lose some weight. I mean, but we're, we're creating this, we're creating this society that we're supposed to be, and we're supposed to be accepting of it. And, and that sounds a little weird because yes, I think we need to be accepting of people no matter how they are and how they appear and how they, you know, whatever, but we're, we're making it, we're normalizing it so that these people, they don't, they don't believe that they have certain issues that they need to overcome if they want to be healthy. I mean, this is clearly, this is an obese person who's clearly not healthy uh, at risk of high blood pressure and diabetes and heart disease and all kinds of other, all kinds of other maladies. Um, and our society is like, well, we have to be accepting, uh, you know, and, and, we're we're actually now seeing seeing evidence of this in our media where you have these massively morbidly obese people and our media is saying well this person is healthy this person is perfectly healthy there uh there was no problem with them whatsoever and um there there was even there was even a um, an image that i saw like a week or so ago in a store and it was a picture uh, over some jeans and it had like, you know, they had like the model and then the jeans and like the price and everything. Well, it had this morbidly obese person wearing jeans and the caption right next to it was skinny jeans. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, no, those aren't skinny jeans. No, they're just tight. That's they're different. Just- <laughs> <laughs> That's not the same thing. <laughs> I mean, I get it, but I mean, skin tight and skinny is not the same thing. You can call no. <clears throat> you know, we're we're completing we're completely gaslighting our society to say that well, you know, morbidly obese, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. Those are just skinny people. I mean, that's what. Isn't that, so, do I think that morbidly obese people need to be treated like human beings? Of course, I do. They yes, need to be treated with absolutely. dignity and respect because they are human beings. But let's at least acknowledge that they're morbidly obese and they're unhealthy because if they were to go to a doctor, the doctor should tell them you're unhealthy. You need to lose weight for a myriad of reasons. Well, and I don't think you're here's the here's the issue, I think, with that particular argument. I'm not saying you're wrong, but getting people to actually admit or recognize that their lifestyle is unhealthy I mean, to me, that's your choice. You want to live an unhealthy lifestyle? That's your choice. It, it's no different mm-hmm. to me than people who um, um, smoke or drink excessively or or engage in any other habits. I'm like, you, you want to do that? That is your choice. I'm not going to lecture you about your own personal health. You're going to have to, to deal with that. When your lifestyle impedes on other people, that becomes a problem. And when it, when it comes to, we'll just take this gentleman's situation, for example, you are blaming everyone else in the world for your fat ass, not being able to sit in a chair 
Well, and then and then turning it back on us and saying we are fat phobic. Yeah, and it's our it's our problem. It's our right. issue that we need to basically remake all of the public spaces for your benefit. Right. I'm I'm sorry. That's that's not acceptable. Right. That's not appropriate. You want me to respect you as a per as a person? I do. Do I recognize that going out to a restaurant? These are things that you as a person have to consider. Um, yes, I recognize that. You know, mm-hmm. a buddy of mine has celiac. And he is 100% has to pay attention to if there's gluten in and around anything. Right. And he's not one of these weirdo people, unfortunately, that actually just don't want to consume gluten. He right. really can't. And I mean, even when it comes to something, if it's prepared where there's flour, normal, real person, <laughs> real person flour around, right. he'll feel it a couple hours later. Trust me. He has to actually take that into consideration. It's not his choice. It's, it's a part of what he has to do. Does that mean that we should get rid of all flour throughout the entire waking world so that he doesn't have to feel bad about that or deal with that? No, that's idiotic. That's ridiculous. That's not going to happen. Nor does that mean I have to have 600-pound capacity chairs everywhere And nobody is allowed to sit in a normal chair. They have to be full on benches made out of, you know, reinforced steel because God forbid someone weighing 400 pounds or more might come into that restaurant. So they don't feel like the odd ones out. Right. Um, No, that's not appropriate. Right. Here's another one for you. I like this one. Let me, um, let me share this one with you. Um, So this is a, a young woman. She swears that her dog is vegetarian by choice, by choice, mind you. Okay. Okay. So let's, uh, let's see what she has to say here. So some of you just don't believe that my dog's a vegetarian. So I have this set up right now for you guys to see. We have this really gross, um, it's like a beef, like dog food. And then I have this delicious green salad. So I'm going to bring her out and we're going to see which one she likes. Also, my dog is very healthy. She loves greens. She loves her salad. And I don't force her to eat her salad. It's what she likes. Come here. Come here. Okay. Okay, so this is Bonnie. She is my little <clears throat> vegetarian. Okay. Now, no, no, no. No, don't eat that. No, no, no. Eat that salad. Look, salad. Do we need the salad? Here, pick one. No. No, no. No, Bonnie, no. <laughs> truth bomb bam <laughs> <laughs> that dog was on that meal on that meat like a pack of them on a three-legged cat man <laughs> oh my god where have you been <laughs> oh i could smell it <laughs> no, and I've heard of I've heard of vegetarians who force their pets, especially cats and dogs, to be vegetarian as well. Um, and that's just so bad for the pets oh because God. they're not designed to, to be no. vegetarian. They're designed to be carnivores. Um, um it, what newsflash, sorry. Vegetarian that that none of us are designed for that. Well, yeah. Human beings are not the dog. designed to be vegetarians either. Newsflash. Sorry, vegetarians out there. Your bodies are not made for that. That's why you guys look all gaunt and gross. 
mm-hmm. and you have to take constant supplements because your body's not getting the nutrition it needs, which we normally take in from meat. <laughs> I just Human like beings. that. Go Bonnie. All I have to say is go Bonnie. <laughs> Way to go, dog. <laughs> yeah. Speak truth to power. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, that so was funny. perfect. So I love funny. It. So let's talk about let's talk about COVID stuff. Well, Why? let's talk about Seattle. You're having fun. Oh yeah, let's go talk about. <clears throat> so let's talk about Seattle. So last weekend, I took my dad and we went up to Seattle for just to get away and get out of the heat. And it was great. It was 65 degrees up there. Um, you know, it was like 50 in the, in the evenings, took, had a light jacket. It was rainy. Most of the time, most of the time we were up there, it was very cloudy. I didn't see the sky. Yeah. I I didn't see the sky at all. Um, until I got back into, uh, into Phoenix. Um, but a couple of interesting things happened. So we went up there and, um, I took them to the Seattle Seahawks game of which they lost, but that whatever, um, (laughs) Really? Yeah. And, you know, when, when we left, I, I read that the Lumen Field, which is where the Seahawks play, they, they announced that they were only going to allow people into the stadium with either proof of vaccination or a negative test taken within 72 hours of the game. <clears throat> okay. So the day that we left, because we left on Thursday and the game was on Sunday, the the afternoon that we left, I took my dad. We ran down. We got a we got a COVID test. Um, we got one of those rapid tests where they and they shove it way up in your nose in your mm-hmm, nose. Mm-hmm, oh, that's mm-hmm. really fun. That yeah. that's that that was that was joyful. Yeah, I do that every week. Every week. Mm-hmm. I do that, that every week for work. Yeah, that- every Monday. <laughs> So we get the test, right? So that we can go. So then we have proof. And if, that way I have proof on my phone that we both have negative COVID tests. And it came up, it came back negative. We don't have it. So we fly up to Seattle. Um, and the entire city is in panic mode over COVID. Far cry from what it's like here in Phoenix. In Phoenix, yes, I still see people walking around with masks on their face at the grocery store, whatever. You know what? It doesn't bother me. You, you do you, and you know I'm gonna be over here not wearing my mask, right? And a lot of stores, most of the stores have signs that say, "Prefer, you know, if you're not vaccinated, we would recommend that you mask wear a mask." Recommended, right, right, right. But everywhere, it was required everywhere. The masks were required literally everywhere you went. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as you sat down, you could take it off. Yeah. Literally, I took a I took a picture. We were in this bar, and I took a picture of this sign, and the sign said, "You have to wear a mask when standing." <laughs> when standing, <laughs> yes. And I, I'm like, "Do you even understand what you're even talking about?" Yeah. You know, well, but- if you're seated, you're not moving around. I would ask. <clears throat> so. Yeah, that that whole idea when you're when you're standing up, you're moving around. That's when you're going to spread COVID. When you're seated, you're at a table. That's just the easy way of basically covering the, you know, when you're eating or when you're consuming a beverage or whether you're sitting at the bar, sitting at your table, you can take your mask off to, you know, with your private party. I would love to ask. I, I want. I would love to go up there in a wheelchair. 
and just keep my mask off and see what they do. <laughs> because that's a win-win for me. I mean, what are they going to do? Tell me, well, you know, this is for normal people. What are you trying to say? I'm not normal. I'm right, in a chair. Right. Well, when you're moving around, your sign says when standing, right. you are discriminating against me. You hate handicapped persons. Right. Well, but remember, it was standing. So if you stand up, but you don't move, you had to put your mask on. Yeah. No, sit down. Right. Sit down and I can take my mask. Like the virus would happen to know, you know, a three feet difference. So. Well, didn't you, you read an article a couple of weeks ago about how tall people are more susceptible to get COVID <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> or, or was it short people? I don't remember. Short. I don't people, remember. It was one people. of them too. It was one of the height. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> we, nobody's even thinking about anything anymore. Nobody's actually using their brains and going, wait, this is stupid. This is all, oh. this is all idiotic. We, so we go to the game, you know, I mean, we, yes, we were walking around and we would go into these, there was, we went to the top of the space needle one day i think it was on saturday we went to the top of the space needle and the space needle has done all this crazy crap they put in all brand new filters they have uv radiation lights in the um in the filtration system and they're they they make have these big gigantic signs about how they're bringing in outside air and they're passing it through uv radiation to kill all the covid viruses and everything and you get into this elevator it's an elevator <laughs> and they cram it full of people so there's like 15 people in this elevator that takes you up to the top of the, the space needle. And the rule is you can't speak. Can you That's say, excuse me, if you fart? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just asking. I need to you know what the rules are. You're here. not allowed. You're not allowed to speak. So they tell you, you can't speak. You cannot speak in the, in the ride up the elevator. You can't speak, right? They, they like drill it into you. You, you will die if you speak. <laughs> the doors close everybody starts talking uh, dude it is inevitable if i'm in an elevator i'm guaranteed to rip one right everybody's talking <laughs> everybody's talking and then of course oh sheesh. right but I, i'm like this is this is stupid and then of course you get out of the elevator and there you're you're on the i don't know if you've been to the space needle. there are two floors on the space needle, and you can kind of walk between the two different floors one floor there's you can go outside and out into the cold rain and everything and where you can be inside and then the downstairs one it's all inside so mm -hmm. you're literally crammed into these floors so you 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 go from the elevator where you're not allowed to speak into the space needle where there's like you know 80 100 other people around you shoulder to shoulder they're all talking well sure <clears throat> but it's not the elevator Right. But it's not the elevator. Correct. Yes. Correct. Well, and for, for anybody out there who's, who's never been to the space, you know, Seattle, it's not very big. Well, it, it, all things considered. No, it's not, it's no, not I even mean, the tallest structure in the city. Well, no, no, no. It's I'm not talking floors. about height. It's I'm talking floors. about the actual top, oh, right. the, the, whatever the that's thing. called. The, yeah. The, the, the plat, I don't want to call it the gondola or whatever the hell it is up there. Yeah. When you yeah. go up to that top, <clears throat> even on that bottom floor, it really isn't very big. I mean, it's not, it's not big it, at all. Everybody wants to go all the way up so they could say, I'm at the top of the space needle and take a right. picture. And then they do a selfie and ah, look at, you know, right. and, um, I mean, you're literally elbow to elbow with, yeah, you know, a hundred other people, right. Depending upon how busy it is. 
Right. So it was ridiculous. Nope. Yep. Absolutely ridiculous. The, with the day that we went to the, to the, to the stadium, this is how stupid this was. We go to the stadium and we're in line to get, so there's, there's two gates now that you have to go through the first gate you have to go, you have to show them your proof of COVID vaccination or a negative test. And, and then you get through that gate and then you can get to the next gate where you actually show them the ticket and you get in, you know, you scan your ticket and they let you in. So we get, and I have this, I have these images of our negative COVID tests on my phone. Mm-hmm. Okay. For both myself and my father, <clears throat> my father, who's 69 years old. So we get up to the, fr- to the guy th- to look at the COVID test. And I'm like, here's my COVID test on my phone. All I do is I zoom in on how it says negative, mm-hmm. And then I zoom in on the date that the test was done. And he's like, oh, okay. He's like, you can go on. And I said, but my dad here, I have his one, his. And I said, let me show you. He just looked at my phone. I didn't even bring up my dad's um, re- result, which I had, I legitimately had it. I didn't even get a chance to bring it up. He just looked back down on my phone and said, oh, okay. And then waved us on through. Yeah. They don't, <clears throat> they don't really care. No, they don't care. I mean, they don't really care. Uh, and honestly, if you're willing to, is like, okay, here's mine. Here's my dad's, you know, he's, he's going to go. It's okay. I believe you because if it's fake, you were going to show me a fake one. Anyway, I got no way to prove it. So whatever, go on ahead. Right. They have no way of proving anything. No. They, they, and they, they didn't even check it. It wasn't even like they, they didn't even check like our names are each on our, on our, you know, test results. Right. Have you seen, they didn't not even the, look at the, the, at COVID, the ID. Go ahead. Not the COVID passports, but the actual COVID or excuse me, COVID vaccine records. Have you seen one? A little card? Yeah. The little slip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that they were giving to people to write them themselves to fill out themselves. Right. To yeah. fill themselves out. Yeah. Here's your COVID card, fill out your name and, and today's date. That's yeah. it. There is absolutely no way to verify any of those. No. The only, <clears throat> excuse me, the only way you can actually verify it is if somebody has that done through their insurance and you, and you verify that through their insurance. Right. That's it. Right. You can walk up with a little piece of paper, which not saying that anybody should do this, but right. those are available online. You can find them pretty easy and print it out and put the name date. And there you go. Now you got your proof of your vaccine. It's retarded. It's absolutely retarded. But then we get into the, we get into the stadium. 70,000 people are in the stadium. The stadium is packed. People weren't wearing their masks. Well, so, you know, at first they're walking through the like the the entrance way and everything, and people are wearing their masks. By the time they got up to their seats, nobody's wearing their masks. The mask hanging wearing. down, you know, no. and down. They right got to they got to put it on to go get their hot dog and their beer, yeah. and then they take it off, stick it in their pocket because you know they're walking right. back up. Yeah. Nobody was fucking wearing their mask. It was the dumbest thing, you know. Of course, everybody's screaming around. You know, I mean, that place is loud. That place is loud, which means everybody is standing and everybody's screaming and, you know, spitting all over each other and everything. Well, and and Seattle's got the 12th man, right? Yeah. The loudest stadium in the NFL. It's loud. Yeah. It was loud. Holy crap. Was it loud in there? Um, But I mean, we had a great time and everything, you know, Um, I wish they would have won, but whatever. That's fine. We even went to another bar where they had you had to show proof to get into the bar. And as I walked up, I looked at the bouncer, the bouncer checked like the one dude in front of us, he checked his phone. I don't even know if he actually looked at it. 
And I get up there and I said, I said, I looked at the bouncer, big old dude. And I just said, my dad and I, I, I got my dad's negative COVID test on my phone. We have negative COVID tests on my phone. He did. He just looked at me and said, oh, okay. And just waved us on in. Yeah. He didn't even bother looking at it. I didn't even have my phone on. And he's like, oh, okay. And, and just waved us on in. I'm like, this is the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> <They're-> well, <laughs> but again, had you not had it and he just stopped you and says, I need proof of your COVID test. You're like, uh, oh yeah. Uh, I got it on my phone. He'd have waited mm-hmm. for you to try and pull it up. And when you couldn't then said, you're bounced, get out. Right. But But because you went up there and went, Oh wait, I got it right here. Hold on. Hold on. He's like, yeah, it's cool. dude. Just just move on. But also what's dumb is like, you know, we did the test on Thursday. I could have, somebody could have sneezed on me at the airport 20 minutes later and given me COVID right then and there. Mm -hmm. So yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry. What was it? Yes, that's correct. (laughs) But I have a negative COVID test within 72 hours of kickoff. I got it. It's like my COVID passport. Bam. I'm golden. I got fully vaccinated. I make up 80% of the active COVID cases in the country right now, but I am vaccinated. (laughs) Did you see there was was this, uh, uh, it was on CNN. Um, Must be true. It was a, it was a report here. And the quote is, is classic. The quote was, so this, this uh, this mother, she died. Don't know how old the mother was or anything. It's neither here nor there. So this woman, she passed away. Apparently, she died from COVID. And the quote from the article, this was from one of her family members, one of her children, who said, quote, she was vaccinated, but was infected by others who chose not to be. The cost was her life. So... Remind me hey, again what the wait, purpose wait, wait. of a vaccine is. Okay, well, I was, I was, I was like, a vaccine. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the whole idea behind vaccines yeah. is to protect the recipient right. from catching and being infected by the disease. Correct. End of story. But she died. That's correct. She got it from, and how they know that she got it from people who are not vaccinated is beyond me. Because remember, we've now learned that the vaccinated can pass the virus on to other people. Correct. So we talked about this last time. We did. Just because if I'm not vaccinated and if I get the vaccine, my unvaccinated body does not quadruple the the virus the the mortality rate. It does not make it a worse virus by being in my unvaccinated body. It's just still the virus. Mm-hmm. Right. But this is the kind of ridiculousness that we live in right now. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I guess the question is, if this lady was not vaccinated, would she have died? That's a great question. We don't, well, and sadly, we won't, we won't know the answer to that. We won't know the answer to that. So by being vaccinated, that did not save her life. Right. And have you seen the images coming out of Australia right now? Oh, my God. Nope, I haven't seen the images, but I've heard some of the ridiculousness happening over there. They are just, you know, (laughs) I saw a video. Some poor damn fool came out of his apartment. He wasn't wearing a mask. And 
I don't know exactly why, but he got mobbed by like 50 police officers. Mm-hmm. And, and it's um, not like they just come up. Here's the problem with, with what's going on in Australia is the police officers are not just coming up and saying, sir, we need you. You're not wearing a mask. You either do you have a mask? Can you please put the mask on? They're not doing it. They're just running up and jumping on people and wrestling them down to the ground, beating the crap out of them. Which is always cool because then if they're not wearing a mask and you're beating the crap out of them, they breathe harder and cough. So that's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that makes total sense. You know, keep in mind, everybody out there, I know I've heard this, that's out there, all the crazy stuff that's happening out right now in Australia. Well, that's all the way out there in Australia. What I don't think people realize is Australia is really kind of a leftist liberal testing ground for all of the crazy shit that they would love to see happen right here in this country. The complete and total ban on all firearms. That's happened. (laughs) And and they're, they're saying, well, it worked in Australia. No, it didn't. No, it hasn't. Crime is, was up 300% from where it was but but before they actually banned firearms um this kind of control that's happening with covid people having to get an app on their phone which allows the government to track where you're at you have to actually put in this application when you're leaving where you're going who's allowed to leave your house i mean that kind of freaking big brother crap if you think for one minute that that's all the way out there in Australia and is not going to happen here, I got news for you. That's exactly what they would love to see happen right here. And the longer it goes on out there, the more likely it is to trickle this way. And here's why things are crazy. Go. When it comes to COVID. And this is, and I saw this, I realized this is why Seattle is insane right now. This is why Seattle is so freaked out. The New York Times, they did a poll and they asked Democrats, Republicans, and independent voters, what are the chances somebody with COVID must be hospitalized? Okay, that was the question that they asked. And this is (laughs) more than... 50% and up of respondents, or I should say, um, so let me, let me rephrase this because start start over. It's a little weird the way they broke, they've broken down the results of this, but um, 41% of Democrats, 41% of Democrats who were polled said that the chances of being hospitalized with COVID is 50% and greater. Okay. Okay. 28% of Republicans said it was 50% or greater that you would be hospitalized. And out of independence, others, 35% said 50% and greater. So there's a, a trending down from left to right. And then in the category, and just be a, below that one, there's 20 to 49% chance of being hospitalized with COVID. And this is pretty even between Democrats, Republicans, and independents, um, averages to about 25% among each of those categories believe, 25% of each of those different categories 
believe that you have a 20 to 49% chance of being hospitalized if you have COVID. So what we have is we have a, we have a huge percentage of the population who think just because you get COVID, you have to go to the hospital. This is why people are freaking out. This is why people are, are masking up all the time, double masking. This is why people are so freaked out about the hospital beds, about ICU beds, because they think that just because you have COVID, that means you have to go to the, to the hospital. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. That is correct. <laughs> It's a, well, you can't blame people for that though. I mean, you really can't. This is the kind of absolute hysteria that we have created around this junk mm -hmm. because of the absolute nonsense that people are being fed through the mass media, social media, and elsewhere. I mean, they're, they really do believe that if you are lucky enough to survive, the likelihood is that you're at least 50-50 that you're going to end up going into the hospital and be putting on a vent in order right. for you to survive. Right. I got news for you. And I'll bet most people out there, if they actually stop and take a step back and really think about it, they know at least five people, at least five people who have had COVID and they said, yeah, they were sick and it sucked and they're fine. At <clears> least <throat> five people. Probably. I think most people out there, if they had to stretch, could think of maybe one person that they might know or might know of. That's two degrees of separation, at least, who may have actually passed away from it. Right. Again, we're still looking at a disease that has a mortality rate of, where were we at? 1.8%? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or is it less than that now? It's, like, I think we're getting closer we're to less, even less than, than, that. than that. I think yeah. we're under, I think we might actually be under one point or 1%. Yeah. Even with the, the Delta variant and the super Delta umta trifuncta variant mm -hmm. or whatever we're on the, you know. Yeah. The gamma, gamma version or yeah, Zeta version. Not, I don't know. The Nacho Grande Supreme right. of, of COVID. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So anyway, th this. Okay. So let's switch gears to, to talking about minimalism for a minute. And I just really kind of want to focus on decluttering, not necessarily minimalism per se, because, you know, I think there are people are going to take in, I think one, I think people are getting really um, beaten down over the whole COVID thing. And then when you, when you compare that with, you know, the mandates around COVID vaccinations, they're trying to push, you know, booster shots. Um, we've got massive inflation that's occurring right now. Um, you know, there, we've got a, a, a Southern border that is on fire and pretty much out of control. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've got a lot of, but that's one place where we're not, we're not COVID screening. Thank God. Right. I mean, we're, we're, not, we're, we're not, at least open to uh, illegal immigrants, not having to be vaccinated. So that's right. good. Correct. Correct. You know, we don't have any of that. And, you know, we still have BLM. And, you know, this was a thing when I was up in uh, in Seattle, I noticed there were, you know, I was last in Seattle in 2019. So when I went in 2019, and then of course, again, 2021, so just a couple of years later, and so much of downtown area has changed for the, for the worst. So many restaurants and businesses have closed. There are a ton of windows that are still uh, shattered 
from uh, the BLM riots that have been going on. Um, there is rampant unemployment or rampant homelessness, I should say, in uh, in Seattle. There was a, a great place it used to be called, well, it was called Pioneer Square. There are a lot of shops and restaurants and bars in that area. And right in the middle of Pioneer Square, it's overcome by just a, a tent city. Uh, and you can, as you're walking through, I mean, we could practically watch people doing, you know, doing drug deals and everything on the street. The city has really taken a turn for the worse. And there used to be a time when I wanted to live in Seattle and that time has come and gone because it's really a shithole now. And it's really sad because it's a beautiful city. Um, but when you, when you look at everything like that, that's impacting American cities and how everything seems to be going on this downward spiral. So the, the question, the question becomes, well, what can you do about it? And, and how do you live a happier lifestyle in, uh, amongst the backdrop of all of this craziness in, um, in, in the world? And, and my advice is it, to people would be to, to start with your own self and get rid of your crap, get rid of your clutter. I know this is, uh, Jason, you know, I, I think people know <laughs> that I'm a, I identify as a minimalist, um, but Jason is not a minimalist you can tell nope. just by looking behind just you. looking around me you can tell yeah. i am not <laughs> um and i actually did some decluttering over the weekend i got rid of a, a bunch of other stuff that i had um so i you know i thought well let's let's at least talk about it because i've had a number of people um you know ask reach out and ask me about minimalism about either why i did it or why should they do it um, I think that's a, that's a, that's a big one is why should they do it? Um, and so there are, you know, there are various reasons, um, for there, well, I should say that there are, well, let me take a step back as a minimalist myself. One of the things that I would suggest people do is ask yourself, what kind of life do you want to live? What kind of life do you want to live out of your home? Um, and then when you figure that out, then you might be able to at least understand how minimalism might help you achieve that, those goals for living. Um, but there are some, there are some interesting statistics with respect to clutter. Um, so a couple of points people should be made aware of is research has shown that when there's a lot of clutter in the home, this tends to negatively affect women more so than men. Men typically don't care about the clutter often. Um, I do. I'm one of those men. I'm one of those outliers, I guess, where uh, if there's a lot of clutter around me, it I start freaking out after a while. I can't, I can't handle it. Um, but women are much more impacted by clutter. And in fact, when um, what that, what that does to people is the amount of clutter, it raises their stress levels up. And so what's correlated with a lot of clutter in the homes are increased cortisol levels and cortisol levels add to, they can have all kinds of negative impacts on health, such as weight gain, headaches, you know, other, all sorts of other stuff. Um, so thoughts on that, Jason. Oh, <clears throat> um, Cause I know, I know you've got, I know you, and, and this is why I kind of wanted to talk about Oh No, it. no, no, this will be good. So yeah. I, I have a love hate relationship with clutter as you call it. So in my, in my shop and my garage, which is also my recording studio, <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. um, clutter is, I mean, part of my work in progress stuff. 
Clutter doesn't bother me nearly as bad in some of those spaces. Now, obviously in my workspaces, those have to be cleaned out so that I can work. Um, there are other places where clutter will drive me bonkers. The kitchen is one. I like my clean kitchen. But then again, I'm working in there all the time. I need to be able, I need to have my clean workspace for that. It's no different than when I have to come in, if I'm going to work on a project or my daughter and I are going to work on a project in the shop, I have to, we clean the clutter out so that we have clean space to work has to happen. Um, there are other places I know that naturally get cluttered. You, and you know, you want to clutter your bedroom, fire away. That's your bedroom. You go do your thing in the living space. I want that clean. So I guess, yes, I can see your point. Um, and don't get me wrong. There are times where I come in, I'm like, what the hell is going on in here? Yeah. My cortisol level shot way the hell up because I can't, <laughs> I can't even think straight. There's too much crap in my way. I just want to take it all and shove it off the counter. But, um, so yeah, I can understand the idea that clutter can cause increased cortisol levels or just really piss people off in, in blue collar terms. <laughs> right. You know, there are things that clutter that clutter tends to do um, to us, I guess. And and what's what's kind of interesting about that is we're in essence doing it to ourselves because we create the clutter. We buy all the stuff or we collect all the stuff and then we put it all in our home and we move stuff around and things get very, very cluttered. Um, but some of the things that that, that clutter does is um, it steals your, it's just steals the space within your home. And so it become for a lot of people, it, the clutter causes them to not be able to relax when they come home because they're surrounded by all of that, that chaos there. Um, and what clutter ends up doing for a lot of people is it becomes this sort of unspoken to-do list. There's always something to do with respect to the clutter. You either got to dust it or you got to put things away or you have to clean the kitchen or you got to clean the living room or you got to do the, the, the laundry and you got to put the laundry away. So there's all, when you have a lot of clutter in the house, there are a lot of to do's. And when people have a lot of to do things, they get stressed out over that. Yeah, I could see that. On, on the other hand, I can also see, so here's another example where clutter can actually provide comfort and don't get me wrong. I'm not, a clutter fiend either so i'll stop you before you start spinning okay but no oh, no, no don't start um so there it is there it is <laughs> <laughs> i knew i'd get at least one of those when we got onto this so mm -hmm. i'll take my daughter for example now she sleeps in her bed surrounded by at least 30 stuffed animals a couple of them that her godfather lovingly bought for her which if she does not have in bed with her at night, she won't go to sleep. She can't. Sure, sure. She needs that. She, I mean, if my daughter could, she would sleep with my wife and I in bed. She never has never once. I mean, not since she was a baby, we've never done that, but she wants that. She likes that cuddle. So for her, what you might lovingly call clutter, she refers to as a stuffed animal sanctuary, which provides her comfort for her to sleep. So while 
For you, that is absolute insanity and everything must be gone away with. And the only thing allowed on a bed is a sheet, bedspread, and one pillow. Because anything beyond that is not minimalist, is excess, and therefore must be burned. For her, that is a comfort. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, you brought up you brought up kids. And what's interesting about children um, when it comes to often as uh, as families, we a lot of our clutter is associated to our children. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very common amongst American sure. American homes. What's interesting about the United States is the United States has approximately 4% of the world's children in it. But the children of the United States comprise about 47% of all of the, of all of the toys created in the world. I could see that. So there's a, there's a vast number of toys that are here in the United States. Well, well, and that makes sense, right? I mean, it, it makes sense because we're a very, or at least it feels like it makes sense because we're a very consumer driven society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting is, is um, researchers studying children's play behavior. They took children in, they put them in one, they put some children in one room and they gave them um, four toys. These are about um, ages, but like around between three and five years old, years of age. And they gave them four toys. And in another room, they put other children and they gave them 16 toys. And what they found was the children that had fewer toys, they actually played three times longer with the toys than the children with the 16 toys. Um, and oh, yeah. the, the children in the, 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 with the fewer toys actually played more um, using their imagination so they played longer. They their imaginations were engaged a little bit more. Um, now, of course, as a minimalist, I would never tell anybody you gotta pay, you gotta throw out all of your kids' toys. I think there's a happy balance there. You have to know your your children, um, but I think it does it should, if anything, give people um, food for thought around all of the crap that they create. Now, why are you laughing at me? No, I'm not laughing at you. This is what I love about psychologists in general, because mm-hmm. the, oh, mm-hmm, there it is again. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> this, <laughs> these are the kind of studies only psychologists do. Mm-hmm. This is why yeah, I right. love psychology. Mm-hmm. It, because they're, they just, God loves psychologists. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys are make such entertainment for me. Um, <laughs> So psychologists will spend literally millions of our grant money and dollars to do Mm -hmm. studies like this. We put a kid in a room with 16 toys and a kid in a room with four toys. Mm -hmm. What are they going to do? And they sit and watch. Mm -hmm. And then they get amazed (gasps) with the results. Oh, my God. A kid with four toys played longer and used their imagination. And they, they were focused on those four toys. The kids with 16 toys, they spent less time with each toy, but they went through all 16. Well, duh. No kidding. If you gave me 16 toys, I would spend three minutes with each one because I want to check out what each one of them does. What am I missing? I want to make sure I get a little bit of everything. We know this just from being consumers. When we do a, a search, I, I, okay, we'll, we'll break this to another level. As, as grown as adults, when I do a search for what do I do with leftover potatoes, I don't want two results 
from Google. I want 10,000, even though I may only look at the first five. But if I only get two, I feel like I'm being cheated. And guess what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to have to pick one of those two to figure out what I'm going to do with my leftover mashed potatoes. And I'm going to have to go make something because those are my only options. So here are a group of psychologists who spend $10 million and five years to do a study to realize that if you give a kid more options, they're going to spend whatever time they have checking out all of the options they have before doing anything else. But that's not what they said. That's not what they said. What they said was the kids that were playing with the 16 toys, they stopped playing way before the kids with the fewer toys. Yes, because they ran through all their options and went, okay, now what? So where's the rest? I want more. Well, the takeaway for parents, (laughs) the takeaway here for parents is, do your kids really need the amount of toys that they have? No, that's the takeaway that they created after that i'm sorry go um, go ahead no 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 go, I, I apologize go ahead well no i think what it does is i think it it highlights i think it highlights for a lot of parents do your do your children really need the mountain of toys um or could they actually do could they do with actually a lot less now there are a lot of parents who have accumulated a massive amount of toys and remember we're talking about we're talking about clutter and we're talking about reasons to declutter if you're feeling, if you don't feel any kind of uh, frustration with your children's toys and you walk in and you get a sense of, um, you know, of excitement and, and joy in seeing a bajillion toys spread all over your, all over your house, then more power to you. Um, but if that's a cause of frustration, which for a lot of parents it is, for a lot of parents it is a cause of frustration when they come home and they see toys thrown all over the place, toys that aren't being played with. I know I've talked with some, with some parents that say, you know what, my, my kid has a thousand toys in their bedroom and they play with two and that's all they play with. Well, then my question is, well, then why don't you, why don't you get, you don't have to get rid of all the toys, but why don't you get rid of some of them? Um, why are you keeping them? So, you know, that, that I, the only reason why I brought this up was because toys, especially with little children and especially amongst in a relationship between mom and dad, that can be a very big sore spot. Keeping in mind, if your spouse gets very overly stressed with clutter and your kids are a cause of a lot of that clutter, well, maybe you should sit down and have a talk and maybe you can get rid of some of the clutter without your kids even noticing that you got rid of some of their own clutter. Okay, so one, I can absolutely attest and agree that I would say 90% of parents out there will all say that their kids have more than enough toys. They have plenty of toys and they can even get rid of toys. But I am going to separate the idea that quantity of toys has anything to do with clutter of mess. As a parent, from at least my perspective, I don't care if you have 10 toys or 10,000 toys. I don't care so long as it's not in the middle of my living room all at once. And the clutter, in my perspective at least, really has to do with more putting your shit away when you're not playing with it. Now that's a parental lesson to be taught to your children about 
cleaning up after yourself. You have been told, I'm sure you have, by your parents, Lucy, <laughs> your room's a mess. It's a pigsty in here. Clean this crap up. I don't care if you got 10 things or 10,000 things. Whether they're out or away makes a huge difference. Now, that being said, do I think that um, parents and kids can go through toys, clothes, stuffed animals, random crap that they just don't use or need anymore and actually get rid of it? Yes, I actually do that exercise with my daughter. What are the things we can get rid of? And she's actually now gotten to a point where she can pass toys on to her younger brother, which is really fun for her because now she can say that she's too big and too grown up for some of the little baby toys. So it makes her feel, I guess, kind of like she's growing up and she's passing them on um, to her little brother. So she's giving and then she can get give other things, whether they go to Goodwill or go to you know a toy drive or things like that. We do that as well. Those are ways to actually get rid of that. Does that change how many, how much crap is out in my living room? No, not really. The only way I'm going to change that is by teaching her good habits about picking up after herself when she's done playing with it. So right. I understand your point, but keep in mind, really, when you're talking about clutter, that is habitual. It's not, I understand, can you arbitrarily address a habitual problem? That is not cleaning up after yourself and just piling crap everywhere. Yeah, you can address that arbitrarily by getting rid of just everything you own or a lot of stuff you own. So you don't, I mean, obviously, if you only have two possessions, if they're all out in the living room, it's not going to make a big mess. But so, yes, you can arbitrarily address that. What I'm looking at is you have to be willing to change the habit. Otherwise, the amount of stuff just means, well, it takes up less space. That's my. A lot of people who are minimalists, they recognize one of the one of the benefits, and this is a benefit that I've had by being a minimalist, by having fewer things, it actually takes a very short amount of time to straighten up my living space. Was that a psych psychologist study or <laughs> did you just notice that no. because you only have five things? Well, it's <laughs> but it's it's one of those things that it's one of those things that seems that you would, yes, it seems very apparent on its surface, but when you're surrounded by a lot of things all the time, you don't tend to notice it. Sure. And so when you get rid of your objects, whether they're kids' toys or your own personal toys, you what you end up doing is you spend a lot less time actually cleaning. Um, there's less things to dust. There's less things to get out of place. There's when it, when there are items that no longer uh, are put away, you have fewer things, you know where they go and you tend to put them away. Um, some economic studies have even shown that, well, first of all, here's a, here's another interesting statistic for you. The average American home has over 300,000 items in it. Okay. The average American home, the average American consumer spends total spends approximately $2 billion a year repurchasing small objects or items that they've lost in their home. Oh, I can agree with that 100%. Um, and so what, one of the things that happens by, by minimizing your life and getting rid of things a couple of things kind of naturally fall into place. Everything that you own 
has a home within your house. So it becomes very easy now to start to remember where stuff actually goes. And so you start realizing that you, you, you kind of quickly realize, Hey, I'm not, I don't lose stuff in my house anymore. Where did I put it? Because everything has a home. What's really nice. If you have children is it becomes much easier for them to learn where everything goes. Now we might say, well, we just teach them where everything goes. Well, we don't, we can't even teach ourselves where everything goes because you just said it made sense that we spend $2 billion repurchasing things that we've lost in our homes. So we even forget where we put stuff in our homes because we've got so much clutter around us and in, in our, in our homes. Um, and so when you clean, like I can clean my entire condo from beginning from top to bottom in 30 minutes, I can clean the entire thing in 30 minutes because there's very, there's very few items within the actual home. So I'm and the reason why I'm saying I, these are not arguments for anybody to become a minimalist. They are simply natural things that happen when you do become a minimalist. So if you find yourself where you're constantly cleaning your house and you constantly are battling the, the, the chaos, if you feel that your house is, is just chaotic with all of the stuff in it, then if you've ever gotten to a point where you don't want people to come back to your house because you have to straighten up before people come over. Um, you know, if you're, if you feel like, God, I just feel like my house needs some, needs some help. And a lot of people do. Um, there are a lot of benefits that come with getting rid and paring that stuff down. So you don't have to worry about cleaning up before people. I'm never in a position where I have to worry about somebody just spontaneously coming to my house because my house is clean all the time. And even if it, even if there's a few things that need to be put away, like mail, I go to the mailbox, I check it and I put it on my kitchen counter and I got to get rid of it. But it literally takes me like 10 minutes to like move a couple of, you know, put the things back where they, where they need to go. And I'm done. And my house is, my house is always clean. Um, so that's a, that's a natural effect. And of course it seems like, well, of course, when you have fewer things, your house is going to be put in order better. Um, but you don't realize how much you worry about it or how much you think about it or how much you, how much time you might spend per week cleaning your house just to put all, get all the clutter out and put it all away. You don't realize how much that is until it's gone and you're no longer doing it. And the nice thing about it, this isn't, and, and keep in mind, reducing the clutter so that you don't have to clean as much that's not why you do it as a minimalist. And I don't think there's any minimalist on the planet that would say, that's why I did it. What you end up doing, what, what you really end up doing in the end of getting rid of all that stuff is you make time for those other things that are more important in your life for other experiences with people. Um, keeping in mind, like when you're in a relationship, okay, you have other people on the other end of that relationship. And so if you think, well, I'm just going to, I'm just, I don't need to get rid of all of my clutter. I can just spend time with my, with my spouse. Well, what if your spouse has increased stress levels because of all the clutter in your house? Do you think your spouse really wants to spend that quality time when they're constantly stressed out about all of the stuff that's around them? You might be completely happy with all of the stuff. And as men, we typically are, but our spouses, our wives, are just the opposite. And they tend to get freaked out by it and stressed by it. 
And now they don't want to spend time sitting quietly or, you know, spending time with, with, with us guys, because they're so stressed about all of the stuff that's going on around them. So as minimalists, we get rid of things so that we can actually make time and make space for those things that are more important in our lives. Okay. Sorry, no, I, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> actually just, <laughs> I'm not arguing with I'm you. I'm waiting for the rebuttal. Now I was like, no, you know, no, I no, because no. I wanted to well, get the rebuttal and, here. You know, I've heard a lot of psychologists actually, um, mention that that a cluttered space is a reflection of a cluttered mind. So well, I, I, I think there's some truth to that. Do I think that's a, a law? Well, I don't know about a law, but you know, I, I think there's some, I think there's some, there's some, there's definitely some truth to that, I think, because um, I noticed that once I started getting rid of a lot of things, it became much more easy um, it became much more easier to think about things and to think within a, within a particular space. Um, if, if people work, if you work from home, for example, a great thing to try is declutter your office space or the space that you work in and see if you actually perform better. If you're able to maintain focus better, um, clutter often attracts our attention. Um, and a lot of psychological studies have shown this, that when there's a lot of, when there's extra stuff around, we get, we get sidetracked by it. We see it, uh, in our, in our field of vision. And then we think about it and it shifts our focus to, well, I got to put that away, or I got to do something with that, or I got to clean that. Um, so I, I would suggest to people, if you want to try a little experiment, try getting, take one area of your room or of your home where you work. And whether that's working for your job or maybe it's where you sit and do crafts or something where you actually are productive and declutter it and then spend some time working in that space and seeing what it does for you. I actually uh, try and declutter my, my workspace at work every week. Um, I do that once a week, but for me actually come Monday morning, it's cluttered right back up again, but I've usually got anywhere from 30 to 50 um, packets of information that I have to have open and accessible because, well, that's just kind of the nature of my job. So my desk is just laid out with paper um, next to my computer where every, keeping in mind, I'm supposed to be all electronic right now too. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's just, um, yeah, it coming into my office during the week looks like chaos. Yeah. Yeah. But in all fairness, my job is just managing chaos. <laughs> right, right. Your job definitely is managing chaos. <laughs> it really there, is. <laughs> there are there are a few reasons with that why or why people um, find it difficult to get rid of stuff. Even if you're not trying to become a minimalist, even if there are things that that exist that you want to that you want to keep on or or hold on to. Um, one reason that people hold on to clutter is. They've spent money on something or on a bunch of stuff. Um, and so that's the, the sunk cost fallacy. Well, I can't really get rid of it because I've already spent money on it. I spent, I spent $500 on this wardrobe. I can't throw anything out. Um, so we feel really attached to things because we've spent money on it. Um, one way to deal with that, if you feel that way, is try to sell it because maybe you might recoup some of your actual from some of your cash and it helps to reduce that, that feeling that you know, I'm just, if I get rid of it, I've lost that money. Um, so that's one way to get rid of that guilt. 
Um, another, another piece is another reason why people hold on to clutter is they just feel guilty. This is you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, I'll start with gifts. Uh, we, you know, we receive gifts. We have, hell, we have birthdays. People give us a bunch of gifts. We have Christmas. People give us a bunch of gifts. And there are a lot of people, they feel guilty. They don't want to get rid of something because, well, so-and-so gave it to me. And so I don't want to get rid of it because it was a gift. Um, and there are a lot of people when they're trying to declutter, they, they literally will not get rid of gifts. They want to hold on to them. Um, and well, one, as a minimalist, I tell people, don't buy me anything. Just don't buy me anything. I'm going to, I will throw it away. Is what I tell people. Don't give me anything. Cause I will throw it in the trash. Um, I'm not going to waste time taking it to goodwill. I have to stress that because I don't want to become somebody else's charity <laughs> and, and, or a charity executor when I we will just give it to Manuel and he'll take it to goodwill. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to throw it in the trash. So don't buy me anything. Right. Um, but a lot of times people feel guilty or especially when people pass on, um, it becomes really difficult for people to get rid of things because there's a, this emotional attachment uh, and a lot of people, they equate the object, whether they admit to doing this or not, they equate the object as the person. And yep. so they, they imprint heavily on there. Um, I've seen this with, with family members who like their grandmother or their great aunt gave them something like a bowl, right? Mm -hmm. I gave them a bowl and well, I can't get rid of it because my grandmother gave me the bowl. The reality is probably your grandmother bought a new bowl and she didn't want her old bowl and you happened to be there and she said, take it. You implanted all of the emotional nostalgia and everything onto the bowl to your grandmother. She didn't want to hold on to it anyway. She wanted to get rid of it and you got stuck with it. So go ahead and throw it away if you don't need it. Grandma doesn't care. Um, but when grandma dies, well, that was the bowl that grandma used for 20 years. Yeah. She used it for 20 years because grandma was frugal, mm -hmm. not because it was a family heirloom. So I think a lot of times people think they equate objects as being family heirlooms all the time. What so you, how, no, 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 I'm, I'm, <laughs> you, you made a, a very astute distinction between mm -hmm an object that belonged to family and something that is a family heirloom. How does an object go from being a mundane family object to a family heirloom? Well, that's a great question. I think that's a, I think that's an interesting question to, to debate. I think if, if you feel that I'm of the opinion and everybody's going to have a different definition. I think, do I think that there are certain family heirlooms? Yeah, I do. Um, I think more of a, I think a family heirloom is something would, would be something that other people, even outside of your family would find value in it. Okay. So maybe like a gold ring or a piece of jewelry. Um, if your grandmother or your great grandmother had a gold diamond ring that she passed on to her daughter and then her daughter and her daughter, that the gold ring with diamonds in it has value even outside of the family unit. You take it to a jeweler, they appraise it. Oh, this appraises it two grand or 5,000 or whatever it might be. So I think a family heirloom is going to be something that one is likely going to have value even outside of the family if somebody else might actually want it. Um, but two, I think family heirlooms are few and far between. So I don't think that every object within a family is an heirloom. 
Sure. So I, I, you know, I think that, you know, could a dish set, a China set be considered a family heirloom? Probably. But also if it's a really good China set, then somebody out external to the family who has no idea of the history could probably appraise it and realize, wow, wow, there's some money here. There's, there's a value here that exists separate from, from the family. So um, you, you are attributing a family heirloom based purely on actual monetary worth. Well, I think that's one way to start looking at an object if we call it a family heirloom. Do I think all family heirlooms have necessarily monetary value? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Um, you know, you might have a first edition book of something that was written 200 years ago that in the real world is does, has very little monetary value. Um, but that might still be considered a family heirloom because it's been in the family so for so long and, and you know, all of the nostalgia that goes around with it. But I would just challenge people to be careful if they start thinking that everything that they possess is a family heirloom. Right. Uh, no, 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 absolutely. And I was asking that question very, very genuinely um, mm. because and and you know this about me. I'm a, an overwhelmingly sentimental sap when it comes to stuff like that. I mean, really bad. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm genuinely asking, you know, I've got sitting over here a, a perfect example of what I think most people would consider a family heirloom is my great-grandmother's silverware, actual oh, yeah. silver. Silver? Yeah. I mean, right. and those get passed on all the time. I mean, every sure. almost, almost every family's got some sort of, you know, an, an actual silverware set that never gets used, ever. Right. Maybe if you're lucky, you pull it out for Thanksgiving. Right. Maybe. Or you but pull it out that, and you realize you got to polish it. And it's like, I got to, eh, oh, I didn't polish this stuff. All right, I blew it away. <laughs> next year. I'll do it yeah, next year. Yeah. Um, but see, that has monetary value. So that's where I, sure. would, and I so, would stop and think maybe that is an heirloom. Okay. All right. So there's that now. So that's on my right over to my left in a pile of other junk. I know I have a document that was stamped at Ellis Island when my great grandfather landed from Poland. To me, that is a family heirloom, has zero monetary value whatsoever. True. True. I will, there's no way I'm going to ever get rid of that. What am I going to do with it? Probably pass it along with my die and it'll become junk to my son. More than likely. More than likely, yeah. But, I mean, so when, when we look at those, those and you, you made a reference to a bowl. Okay, you know what? I got some bowls belong to, to some of my grandparents. I got them. Um, at what? So I, I was legitimately asking, when do those. I was, those and here I said the bowls because I thought it was. I know, no, no, it was perfect. It made me laugh, made me giggle. But um, so at what point do those mundane items cross the threshold to become heirlooms? And And I was just genuinely asking yeah. the question because. Again, I recognize for me, I'm overwhelmingly sentimental about a lot of that stuff. Sure. Um, I had to, and, and you know this, may, many people out there didn't. Um, my family homestead out in Pennsylvania has, has been sold. It's um, it, a lot of generations of history out there and a, lo a lot of generations of, well, junk out mm -hmm. there too. Mm -hmm. um, but I did go back and, and gather some things that I considered... Well, a lot of heirlooms, but a lot of stuff that is just junk, but meant something to me. 
and I thought might mean something to my brother and sister. And that's all we're going to have left of that place besides, you know, few memories. So there were things that I wanted to be able to at least pass on. Now, I know for you, you gave me a lecture that lasted well, a couple of days and then weeks after that <laughs> about going out and collecting a, uh -huh. an excess amount of junk, which I can appreciate from your standpoint. Um, so, again, that's what caused me to ask that question in what yeah. it seems interesting to me to think that there is a monetary marker that suddenly makes something a mundane object and turns it into an heirloom well, i and, think it's just i think that's one characteristic i don't think that should be the only characteristic and, and i think everybody's slightly different what i would encourage people to to do so even such as yourself is i would say you as a minimalist it's not about it's not necessarily about living an ascetic lifestyle it's not trying to become like an ascetic monk where you have nothing although there are very extreme minimalists um, who own like 50 objects. That's it. And that includes clothes, clothing items. Um, but they have a very specific purpose in mind. They, you know, those types of individuals, they want to be nomads. They want to be, they don't want to live in a space more than, you know, maybe a month or two. So they're constantly moving from location to location to location. They're like traveling hobos, um, you know, and that suits them. That wouldn't suit me. Um, so what I, what I would challenge people if they're thinking about being minimalists and they have various things like, like you have, which are these, these different family heirloom type of things is I would say the objects that you, that you keep certainly keep objects, but curate your, your objects. Okay. Curate them and think of your home as a museum. One of the nice things, if you've ever been to a museum there's a lot of empty space in a museum. And why is there a lot of empty space? Because it draws your attention to, to the items the that are there. Right, right. To the items that are there. So am I saying get rid of all of your, uh, uh, people should get rid of everything? No, I'm saying think about the stuff and curate it. Is it something that is truly, truly meaningful to you? Then go ahead and keep, then keep it. But if it's really not, valuable or you're you get very little use out of it you get very little value out of it yeah the bowl may have been in my family that my grandmother owned but is it really truly a bowl that you know she bled to death in you know to come to the united states or is it just a bowl that she picked up and sure. you know right. I, I, at a five and dime shop on the corner because she wanted to make you know scrambled eggs sure you know um so well, we tend to place more emotional value on things and than we should again i know i do and and i'm not so i i just happen to see i have two items one is that old busted stereo up there behind me you see mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. yeah i see that was in my dad's shop for as long as i can remember uh -huh. and it moved with him from at least montana to pennsylvania and you flipped on the lights in the shop and country music was blaring on that the whole time we were in there. Mm -hmm. And what I was able to do is now get that and take my old stereo and that's now become my camping stereo. And I don't have to take it out of my shop every time I want to go camping and have tunes out on the road. So now my dad's playing music with me in my shop. That mm -hmm. made, So that's what that is for me. I know this seems like goofy over here, but way back behind me, there's a horseshoe hanging on the wall. I can say it. that horseshoe I found, well, excuse me, my dad found, 
I think I remember telling you there was a, um, a horseback ride that my dad and, um, Cindy who had the horses that took us out for 17 and a half hours over almost 70 miles. And we actually had forest service come looking for us because they thought we were lost. And, um, it was probably one of the most spiritual moments I had. I'm not going to get into all the details on this tonight, but it was a very spiritual moment for me as a young man. Um, it's one of the, the first times I actually thought that God actually reached down and touched me. And I found that horseshoe. And so that sits there and it reminds me, not just of a time with my dad and a horseback ride, but it's a spiritual reminder to me as well. So See, that's junk. Yeah. But that is a piece in my museum for my life. Sure. But that's me. That's not everybody. But I would also, I would also challenge you because I think you could go through your entire 300,000 objects that you have in your home. And as sentimental as you are, I think the vast majority of items, you would have some memory that touches your heart and you would say, well, I got to keep it. And oh, there's a bunch of crap I can get rid of. I have no it, doubt about that. <laughs> but I think, the, I think the vast majority, because what I know about you, I think there's so, I think there's the va I think there are vast majority of stuff in your home. You would be able to, if you sat down and thought about it, I think you would have a very difficult time getting rid of it um, because I think you would naturally find some memory and we have to, mm -hmm. I mean, one thing for people and I, and I'm not trying to pick on you because I know a oh, lot no, of other bring people it on. go through this as well. <laughs> I'm you know, an easy target, but let's do it this there, way. That, and I'm I'll really, be the one for I'm everybody. really trying to talk to the other people that are more interested in becoming minimalists. Okay. Because there are people out there that are saying, well, I want to be a minimalist, but I don't know how to let these things go. Sure. Okay. I don't know how to let my horseshoe go. I have a very similar thing in my house. They do want to get rid of it, but they don't know how to. And it's really about those people. Cause I don't, you know, you, you have your own life to live and I think it's beautiful and live your life. Um, and so what I would tell people that have their own horseshoe is I would say, well, first of all, the memory by getting rid of the horseshoe, it doesn't get rid of the memory. Okay. But I do recognize that looking at objects is very similar to taste and smell and even hearing in a lot of respects that um, our other senses Re, they pull those memories out. And so, yes, you might have a very special memory that you only think about when you see that object. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that you can do if you're thinking about, if you really want to get rid of a lot of this clutter and you want to get rid of some of these items, one of the things you can do is get yourself a digital picture frame. And these digital picture frames can hold thousands of pictures on them. And set that up in your house and then go through a lot of those, those memory items, those, those horseshoes that you have in your, in your home and take a picture of it and load it up onto that digital picture frame and then get rid of the horseshoe. Because then as that picture frame cycles through all of your different pictures of objects, you'll remember and go, oh yeah, there's that horseshoe, that time when I was with my dad, 
Oh yeah, there's the there's the cane that my grandfather used to use. Oh yeah, there's the old back scratcher that my grandmother used to scratch her back with all the time. You know, so you'll see that and you'll remember that, right? But you don't, you won't you won't, you'll get you'll be able to get rid of the clutter, but you'll also still have something very simple that you can still see those objects and remember your loved ones through. Sure. If that absolutely. Sense. Yeah. No. And, and I know you, you've mentioned that before. And, and I think if, um, for anyone out there looking to actually, um, declutter their house and, and, and pursue that route, then yeah, that's, that's one mechanism of actually being able to do that. Very useful. Yeah. yeah. To, to get, you know, getting rid of, of some of that stuff. Um, you know, and yeah, that guilt comes with, you know, holding on, holding on to the overall past. Um, but you know, the, the, the main thing about trying to become a minimalist, when I said earlier, think about what kind of life that you want to, you want to have. Um, and maybe minimalism will help you get there, but especially if you're feeling very overburdened by a lot of the items that you have. So I did talk about some of the other benefits or some, you know, what benefit of, it takes very little time for me to actually clean my home. I can clean everything inside of 30 minutes doing the floor. I'm talking floors, dust, all kinds of stuff, right? I can do it 30 minutes. Um, but another added benefit, you know, there are a lot of people that go out and buy stuff. And I know you're not necessarily one of those types of people, but there are a lot of people that go out and they buy things when they're feeling bad. Um, they want to fill that void by buying objects because it gives us a temporary high. Um, when you become a minimalist, you're always thinking about, well, I don't, should I really buy something or not? Um, and you kind of detox from that and you find now that you're able to save a lot more money because you're not going out and spending money on those, on that stuff. So that's another, that's another benefit is, is, um, saving, saving a lot of money. You know, and, and I'm sorry, I, I have to touch on this cause it was something I thought yeah. of, but that, that's a good point. Um, when it comes to the, sen um, being sentimental, there's something I thought of, um, actually when I was looking at a lot of stuff that, that I wanted to bring back, um, with me that belonged to my dad or my grandfather. But I thought about this from a different perspective. You know, when my, when I look at my daughter or my son, I've, I've always said, and I think most parents feel this way. So if you're, if you're looking to be a, or to adhere to minimalism and you're a parent think about this i know most parents have said if you're anything like me i want my son or daughter to live a happier and more empowered and, and more fulfilling life and be better than i am or better than i or have something better than what i do most parents want that for their kids they want them to to make, take the next step in life, to have it even better than they did. And they want to set them up for that. You know, and if I thought for a minute I was stuck with everything my dad had and I couldn't move past that, then I'm actually holding myself back and my dad would not be happy with that. My parents would not be happy. My grandparents wouldn't want that for me either. You know, I if um, if you drive an old beat up car, would you want your kids to drive the same beat up car or would you want them to have something better? And so even not trying to replace one material item with another, but you don't want them to be held up in sentimental value to junk, if that makes sense. 
So if you're willing to actually let go of those things that might be holding you back, that should translate to empowering them to be able to do the same and exceed. So that's another way to also think about that. If you're dealing with that guilt aspect of giving those things up. You know, one, one thing here, there are five levels of hoarding. And what's interesting is that is most people fall on most households fall on one of the five levels of hoarding. Okay. Um, level one, the level, the first stage of hoarding is you actually have low levels of clutter in your home. And by low levels of clutter, and most houses, most homes have some clutter where things are not put away. They're just things out on tables and stuff like that, uh, but also small stacks of paper. So if you, if you look at your house and you have small stacks of paper, whether that be mail or you buy newspapers or have magazines and you have small stacks of those around, and then you have clutter around your house, um, you technically fall as level one, as a level one hoarder. So that's just like stacks of just mail. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Not yeah. clarifying, not questioning. That's yeah. Just... yeah. It's, okay. it's, yeah, that's actually, it's actually a, uh, the first stage of hoarding is by having um, stacks of paper and it doesn't have to be mountain, like really tall stacks of paper. Just, we're talking, you know, some stacks of paper where you know, they're just, they just accumulated for a while. Basically, it's the accumulation, the starting of accumulation of things that are not put away, that are not dealt with, um, that, that you're at that first level of, of hoarder. At level two, your household starts to need professional organizers, or at least you're def you definitely look at your house and think, I need somebody, I would love it if I had somebody help me organize my stuff. If you've ever thought about that, you're probably a level two hoarder already. I didn't know that there were people that would do that. You're not talking about like, like a cleaning lady or anything like that. You're talking about what is, what does that mean? Professional organizer. Yeah. There are pre so there are professional organizers, literally, I'm not joking. This is a thing okay. where they will come in and they will look at all of the stuff that you have in your house and they will reorganize, like, let's say your kitchen and they'll put in They'll buy containers to keep your lids for your Tupperware stuff, or, you know, they'll help organize so that all of the stuff in your kitchen fits. And then they'll go in, they'll look at your, at your bedroom and they'll say, okay, you have so much, you have X number of clothing. So here's how we can organize your closet space so that we get all of your clothes put away and everything's nice and tidy. There, there are people who actually do that. You can pay for them to come in and do that in your home. Oh, wow. Yeah. I know you would never do anything like that. No, <laughs> <laughs> but if, 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 and most people don't, I mean, a lot of people don't, don't do that, but there are people that have maybe looked at their house and said, you know what? I would love to have, I would love to buy. I need to go to the container store to buy containers. If you've, if you've had that kind of a thought, uh, I would love to have my, my, my closet organized. You're probably a level two hoarder already. Wow. So oddly enough, my wife and I just had a conversation the other day about um, our pantry uh -huh. because I'm like, you know what? 
I'm actually thinking about buying some like uh, the pantry. Um, what are the, the the Tupperware thingies? You know what I mean? That said mm-hmm. to put the cereal and all that kind of stuff in, just mm-hmm. because I'd like it to look a little bit more or organized. Organized. Who <laughs> I, I I didn't think I was broaching <laughs> into hoarding food, but <laughs> what yeah. you're saying, maybe that's a thing. Yeah. Um, no, I actually I was giggling earlier because I remember that scene in um was it overboard in the very beginning mm-hmm. where he's actually building a was it a shoe rack? in um yeah in her closet i guess she was a level two hoarder for shoes yeah okay sorry continue once you get to level three that's when you you have a lot of clutter in your house and you're probably now starting to border on needing a mental health provider because you have so much clutter and and this this is the point where the clutter is out of control and you it's affecting you um, there's definitely a psychological issue that's causing a lot of the, the clutter to build up. Okay. And you can't, and you, and you would need help. You would literally at this point, you, you start to need help to even get organized or to help clean. Um, and there are a lot of people, once they get to stage three, their house is a mess and it's so overwhelming that they couldn't clean it even if they wanted to, because they wouldn't, they get overwhelmed. They don't even know where to start. Or they might spend, they might try and they spend three hours in a single room um, and look at the rest of the house and say, well, I don't want to spend three hours times however many rooms there are in the house just to try to get it clean. So they give up. Um, if you're in that kind of, if in, in that kind of a situation, you're a level three hoarder more than likely. Okay. Um, at level four, you probably need not only, um, just a, that we're talking more than just a cleaning person mm-hmm. and say cleaning lady. Cause there might be a male who comes in to clean our home. So not now you don't, it's not just one person who's coming in to clean your house and people bring in cleaning people all the time to clean their house. Right. Um, mainly because they just don't want to do it. And it's like, I'd rather pay somebody to do it. Right. And contribute to the economy. Um, but if you're <laughs> at this point, <laughs> Oh, it's a noble effort now. It's not yes. my lazy ass didn't want to clean. Well, there's it's, that I'm too. contributing to the economy. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're level four, you actually need a team of people to come in and clean your place. And it usually is going to cost, it's usually going to take several days for them to clean. Um, and you're going to probably need not only just cleaning, but you're, you'll need a team of people to help organize everything. Um, and you're keep at this point, you're keeping a lot of junk. You're keeping you've got items more than likely. Here's the thing. If you have items that you have any, like, let's say you've gone and bought and you've purchased clothes and they still haven't taken the tags on them. them. Yep. Yeah. You're probably at least a level two, maybe even a level three hoarder at that point. Yeah. Because of all of the stuff you have at level five, that's when you're keeping feces. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, I'm I'm I don't I don't have any words for that. You're you're not you're not there. <laughs> yeah, no. No, luckily I'm not there yet. I, I'm yeah. out of Tupperware, so I yeah. can't really keep my own poop. Right. <laughs> even even like overflowing garbage cans. How many of us have ever had an overflowing garbage can? That's technically a stage 3 hoarding. No. 
if no, your if your no, no, garbage no, 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 can no. is overflowing. Absolutely drive me bonkers. I'm like, literally, the trash can is 20 feet from where it's at the dumpster. Come on. Yeah. And that's usually angry, Jason. I can't feel this stupid. Sorry. Yeah. So that's not anyway. a pet peeve of mine at all. Continue. Yeah, I, I hate I hate trash. I hate clutter. Um, you, but I will tell you this, you know, if you're thinking about if you're thinking about minimizing and becoming a minimalist and getting rid of stuff, you have to understand it take it happens in stages. And it certainly did for me. And this is why I went through a process of decluttering. Um, usually when we get rid of stuff, especially if we embrace minimalism, you, you, you'll probably get rid of 70, 75 percent of the junk that you already have. And you pare it down quite a bit. But then that the what remains becomes your new your new normal, and over time you'll realize, wow, I you know, I, I, I it was easy to give up these certain things, and I'm and I'm enjoying my life of not having all of this stuff in my house. I um, mean, it's very freeing when you give when you get rid of all of your of all of your clutter, um, and then at some future point you'll be able to say, you know what, the stuff that remains, I'll be able to pare that down a little bit more. Uh, and, and then you'll go through another round of decluttering and it might only be a little bit. So I'll give you an example for me. I did a little bit more decluttering because several years ago when I became a minimalist, I had probably six or 700 DVDs, mm -hmm. you know, Blu-rays, DVDs. And I pared that down to about, uh, well, about a hundred and I got rid of a good 600 DVDs that I had. Um, and then over the weekend, I thought, you know what? I'm not watching any of these films. I pared it down. And so now I've got about 30. I've, so I pared it down again and I'm getting rid of about 70, about 70 Blu-rays, DVDs. I've got about 30 left. And I, and these are like really good movies or that I think are good anyway, really good movies that yes, I would like to watch them at some point in the future again. And I know, I already know that at some point in the future, I will more than likely just get rid of all of them. Yeah, get rid of that last thirty percent and just get rid of them. I'm actually surprised you have any left at all at this point. Frankly. Yeah, I I don't have that many anymore. Um, yeah. And you know, I had about a hundred, like I said. Um, but now I, I was able. Here's another thing I was able to get rid of. So when I was four years old, my on my birthday, my dad bought me a, a box. It's just a wooden box, and he gave it. It was filled with little toys and stuff. But he bought it because he said, you know, every pirate needs to have a pirate chest, right? And, and that's what it was. It was just, it, there's no carving on it. It's just a nondescript. It's a wooden box. And I've kept that box since I was four. Yep. And I had an epiphany when I was in Seattle and I thought I can finally get rid of that box. What so was, was your epiphany? I mean, just, it was just, the, the, it was just in this, this moment that hit me that I thought, I'm ready to get rid of it now and I no and longer need to hold on to it. I was just curious. Cause I know you, you said in Seattle and I know you were there with your mm -hmm. dad. So yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't talk to my, I mentioned it to my dad a few years back that I had this box that he had given me. My dad doesn't even remember. He doesn't remember. It. He right. does. And so, <laughs> and I think that was probably one of those reasons where I was like, my dad doesn't even remember why the hell am I keeping this stupid thing? Right. Mm -hmm. I never open it. I never, I mean, there's things in there a couple of little little gadgets or whatever. Um, you know, but I don't, I don't use it anymore and I don't use the little items that are in there. So I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm checking the whole thing. Um, but I finally had that moment where I could say, 
yeah, I no longer need to have it. And I, I kept, that was one of the things that I did keep when I, when I minimized my lifestyle down, but you'll go through that. You'll go through those stages too, where you'll finally get to a point and you'll say, yeah, you know what? I don't need those things after all. Yep. But remember, keep things that give you value. So not, you know, there are some minimalists that they just, they only keep things that they, they need. Um, and like a lot of minimalists do not have televisions. I have a TV. Yep. I have a pretty big TV, mm-hmm. um, but it provides value. I get value out of it because I do watch movies and I do watch some TV and stuff like that. So I'm not going to get, I have no desire of getting rid of my TV anytime soon. So you just have to, again, it becomes that thing of how do I curate all of the items that you want to keep? Sure. No. And, and again, you know, I, I know I'm a, a sappy sentimental guy, but there's a lot of stuff that I have that's junk and I know it's junk. And actually it's something I've been looking at doing here very, very soon anyway, is going through and actually getting rid of junk that I don't know I don't need. There are some exceptions to that. I mean, in that shelf behind me, there's a lot of what I would consider probably junk, but it's stuff that actually comes in handy to have, but that's in my shop. I mean, do I need, you know, three, four things of wood glue? Not today but I might tomorrow. I mean, wood glue actually comes in kind of handy and I've been doing a little bit more projects here and there. And, um, I even shared with you that my daughter and I did one, um, here recently, a little one board project. Well, lucky enough, I actually had a board out in my wood pile and that's, yeah, it's scrap wood, but out of that piece of scrap, I was able to not only make a uh, step stool that my son can now reach the sink and brush his teeth and do that kind of stuff on, which was really neat. But I got to teach my daughter how to, you know, work in the shop and do some things. And I also built some memories for her. So that add it, did it add value? Yes. Does that mean all of the crap that I have here does that? No, absolutely not. And I recognize that. And I think if anybody out there is looking to, um, pursue a minimalist lifestyle you have to try and disseminate what is actually going to be of value or what are you holding on to because of the possibility of it being valuable at some point and you've got to weigh that out especially the valuable at some point because there are a lot of people that um, they hold on to things because they think well i'm going to use it at some point Sure, sure. Or I might need it at some point. Um, and one of the one of the ways to break free break free of that is think: Have I used this within the last sixty days? And am I going or am I going to use it in the next sixty days? If the answer is no, then it's probably okay to toss it. It's probably okay to get rid of it. Um, but if you have plans, like, you know what, I just did a, I just did a project with my, with my kid, or I'll probably do it. Yeah. I'm, I'm planning on doing another project in another month. Well then keep it sure. right. Um, it, you know, and that'll help, that'll help. It, but that kind of game that you play with each of the objects, am I going to have, I used it in the last 60 days or, or make it 90 days. You, you guess what? You get to play with the rules, right? You get, you get to make whatever you want to be. So if it's the last, have I used it in the last 90? Am I going to use it in the next 90? If the answer is no to both of those, well, then maybe it's okay to get rid of it. Um, it you, you know, so that's something, that's something to, um, you know, for folks to, to think about. There are, there are people that feel like if I get rid of it, 
my, my ex-wife was this way. She didn't want to get rid of anything because she really thought at some point she was going to need it. And I, we would argue, we would battle on this a lot. We had numerous fights over, over objects because she, she was a hoarder. My wife, my ex-wife was an absolute hoarder. Um, and she was, she was probably a good stage three hoarder. So, um, she didn't want to get rid of any, I mean, piles of, of newspapers and things of that nature, but she was really good at putting it away and getting it all organized. So it was kind of out of the way, but she was definitely a hoarder and she was always afraid, like deathly afraid. If she got rid of something, she might need it. And, you know, you know, we would have like glasses, glassware, and then all these plastic cups. I'm like, can we get rid of the plastic cups? Cause they're ugly. We might need it someday. And I'm like, why we have all these glass cups. And her rationale was always something worse. Well, what if the glasses break? Then we're going to have the plastic cups. You know, what if for some reason we have 30 people that comes over, that come over, we won't, we don't have enough glasses for 30 people, but we have enough glasses and plastic cups for 30 people. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So every, every response was there was a rebuttal to something. If you're doing that, you probably have a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. More than likely you have a problem and and there's a psychological problem at play there, which she, she certainly had that, that issue. So that's, that's something to, to be mindful of when you're looking at the, at things, if you're constantly making excuses, but you're never using them. um, There's, there's some other deeply rooted issue that you're dealing with inside that maybe you need to do some reflection before you get rid of it. Yep. And that's fair. That's something something to keep in mind. All right. Well, I think we talked long enough. Well, you you certainly did. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, oh, there it is again. Yeah. I hate you so much. I love you so much too. I know. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for thanks for checking us out on the episode sixty nine. Sixty nine. You did. <laughs> There it is. Yeah, there it is. (laughs) What, you thought you were going to get away with that? Yeah. So you can check out all of our stuff off of fusionunderground.net. You can see all of our YouTube videos, everything. If you're ever wanting to figure out, you know, how to listen to us, I don't know why anybody would, but you can catch us all on (laughs) fusionunderground.net. What do you mean you don't know why anybody would? Who wouldn't want to listen to us talk about being a minimalist? and Who wouldn't want to listen to And fat people in restaurant chairs. I mean... This is good stuff, especially right now. We need this. Yeah. Lose weight, fit in chairs, lose weight, get rid of your crap. End of story. Yeah. Lose weight, <laughs> get rid of your shit. Be happier. Done. There you go. Happy you go. and empowered. For Jason Moret, I'm Manuel Ramirez. You've been listening to the Fusion Underground. Peace. We're late. Have a good night.